Welcome. My name is Dr. Harold Bays, Medical Director and President of the Louisville Metabolic and Atherosclerosis Research Center located in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome to this program entitled Obesity, a Disease. Uh, I am Chief Science Officer of the Obesity Medicine Association, and periodically I will moderate podcasts uh, for the Obesity Medicine Association. What I try to focus upon are, are articles that have recently, recently been published. And uh, today's podcast is going to be focused on this clinical practice statement published by um, the Obesity Medicine Association. It's entitled Obesity, Diabetes Mellitus, and Cardiometabolic Risk. Uh, I think that's, that's just so key for many folks that are in obesity medicine. And we're just so fortunate um, uh, to have with us one of the co-authors of this clinical practice statement, uh, Dr. Shagun Benlish. Um, Dr. Benlish, can you please uh, tell the folks who you are and a little bit about what you do? Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Bayes, for having me here. Uh, I'm so excited to be part of this conversation today. Uh, I'm Dr. Shagun Binlesh, and I'm very excited. I am an internist and diabetologist practicing in Bay Area. I'm also a diplomat of uh, ABOM, uh, that is American Board of Obesity Medicine and uh, Lifestyle Medicine. I have been serving in Obesity Medicine Association Committee for more than two years. And I'm a chair of Thought Leadership Committee and a board member of American Diabetes Association. I'm also a speaker at University at Sea and adjunct faculty at Torrey University, California. So this is actually my passion of bringing diabetes and obesity together. That's what we have done in this paper as well. So to bring awareness, I also started my channel, Diabetes, that is diabetes, Conquering Diabetes and Obesity. So I'm very excited to be here. Thank you. Uh, well, that's just perfect uh, for this, <clears throat> this podcast here. So so again, very active in the Obesity Medicine Association, but also active in, in the American Diabetes Association, correct? Yes. All right. So, so I'll, I'll just ask you, you have a patient that comes in, they have the overweight and the obesity. You just counsel them on their nutrition. You counsel them on physical activity. You encourage them to engage in resistance training. And they come back to you, and we've all seen this, and they say, Doctor, my, I'm very discouraged because um, I'm doing all these things you recommended and my, my clothes are fitting looser, but my weight is not changed. Okay, what, what's going on? I mean, I'm, I'm very discouraged about this. How, how, do you, how do you deal with that? And this is a very, very common scenario that we see. And it is very important to understand here. Uh, and I always try to make them go back a little bit and understand the basics, basic mechanism of our body, uh, that weighing scale is always not the right measurement uh, of our um, uh, obesity management. So uh, we really uh, want to make them to understand that their lean body mass versus fat-free mass and uh, how that can vary totally um, among, um, among themselves. So uh, if they are doing all these trainings, they are definitely gaining more mass, muscle mass, and that is more healthy mass. And that's it's okay if you're not seeing so much change in your scale. If they somebody does that body scan or body composition analysis in detail, that's where we are able to tell them, okay, see what you were where you started versus what you, where you are now, and that basically shows that how the 
fat mass has changed, uh, like converted into muscle mass, and that's why the weight has not changed. So I definitely give them example of an athlete versus some of uh, the uh, people, known people with obesity. And that comparison basically helps that both of them can have same body weight, but athlete has more uh, muscle mass. So that basically helps them to understand. But when we when they see that their clothes are losing, fitting better and it's getting better, that itself is a big evidence that they're doing a progress. And I really want to mention to you, uh, this actually happened with me in my clinic. And one of the patients, she had a BMI of like 44. And uh, she went in the plane and she used to like, has to use the extra belt for actually putting it, uh, clipping it out while during the takeoff. And she felt very embarrassed, actually, that because of her weight and she was not able to put the regular belt. After the weight management that we started, she did not lose so much of weight, but she did lose some of the, uh, her clothes started fitting better and she did lose some weight. And then when she went in the plane again after two months, she was able to fit in that belt. And you won't believe she wrote me a message from the aeroplane that I'm fitting in my belt today. And this is a huge accomplishment for me. So uh, it really helps and to make them understand how our physiology works. Uh, that's just so important. That's a great, that's a great um, example of, of how it is that, that, that sometimes it just, from a patient perspective, um, I can understand why weight reduction can be so discouraging. Because if they go to their clinician and the only thing the clinician cares about is the weight on the scale, I mean, in some ways that's just cruel. Okay, what what what's going to matter more is their body composition. I mean, we do lots of we do DEXs here in our research site and such, but other people have other ways of of measuring uh, body composition. But another way of measuring body composition is just what you just talked about. If people can physically see or physically experience improvement in, in their body composition with a reduction in waist circumference and such, such that they don't have to use the extenders on airplanes and such, they should be congratulated for that mm -hmm. and not go to their clinician and, and say, look, I, I think things are better, but my weight's really not improving very much. Um, you know, what's going on? And then the clinician goes, well, you just need to try harder. I mean, that, no. They should be they should be congratulated, right? They should they should have positive reinforcement. That's not positive reinforcement if you're not going to recognize the basic physiology of of treatment of obesity, which leads to the uh, exactly to the next topic. That okay, so you, you've implemented nutritional intervention, you've implemented physical activity. Uh, now you, you're a patient with the overweight the obesity and the type two diabetes mellitus is considering uh, drug therapy. Now, before we get into explicitly how you make that decision, uh, in this article, it talks about what are optimal medications for obesity and type two diabetes mellitus. And, 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 and the list includes one, that they be highly effective anti-obesity medications defined as mean weight reduction of 15% or more in a substantial number of patients. And we're achieving that now with some of the newer agents. Mm -hmm. That they've got to be safe. They've got to be well tolerated. Uh, there's got to be an improvement in metabolic parameters. There's got to be improvement in fat mass complications. So you just mentioned one right there in your example. They've got to be uh, result in improvement in inflammation and improvement in health outcomes. And oh, by the way, they've also got to be accessible. 
doesn't make much sense to, have, sense to have all these wonderful drugs, but nobody can take them. If they're not available, well, that's a problem. So, so in, within the context of your uh, clinical practice, uh, what are the things that you focus on most um, when you're you know, trying to think about what sort of treatment for the diabetes do you think is best for your patients? So um, for diabetes uh, and obesity management, GLP-1s are so far the best uh, treatment. And the challenge comes in uh, having the injection versus pill. So we do not have the pill for that, but for the GLP-1 to, uh, other than the rebelsis, uh, but most of the patients agree to go on a GLP-1 if the insurance covers and they, they can afford it. So uh, again, the five to 10% of weight loss can go a long way in reversing the metabolic syndrome. So this is what I always tend to start with because it's very important for them to understand that how they both are tied together, how uh, obesity and insulin resistance is tied together. So um, in addition to the metformin, starting a second agent sometimes directly if we already has a... Uh, we are uh, we want to conquer the disease uh, obesity in parallel and also taking care of hypertension hyperlipidemia hyper uh, GLP1 is always the preferred option because of the cardiovascular risk factor benefit and plus we do have a lot of uh, research studies that prove that these are the best um, with the other some of the medications like insulin or sulfonylureas of uh, the challenge is the weight gain and uh, the hypoglycemia and other factors that has definitely made the diabetes management more difficult. So uh, that's why this these explaining about these medications and if they're tolerated very well. Uh, and we do go through all these uh, factors that you just mentioned, that this medication can definitely be very helpful. And SGLT2 is the, another one which is preferable. So again, it depends on readiness of the patient, what medication they are ready to take. We do tell them about all the different options available, but the readiness of taking the injection versus the pill and where are they starting in their journey is uh, very important to address and start with. And I think that, so there's this, um, there's this figure uh, in this article for which you're co-author and, and it, uh, explicitly goes through the processes as you just mentioned. You have the patient with the obesity and the, and the, and the type two diabetes mellitus. And obviously you first wanna evaluate and treat primary and secondary causes of the obesity and the, and the diabetes. I think we mm -hmm. all agree on that, but then you gotta implement the healthful nutrition, the routine physical activity, behavior modification that you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. Then you're gonna to wanna to avoid medications that may increase body fat. And that applies to diabetes medications, things mm -hmm. like the saponiureas. And, and, and to the extent you can avoid it, uh, you know, avoiding the insulin. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, you wanna think about explicitly prescribing medications that are going to improve the obesity, right? And so, as you mentioned, some people, uh, even though it's not approved for obesity, believes that met, believe that metformin, uh, you know, pretty good initial treatment for many of the patients with the diabetes mellitus who have the overweight and the obesity. But then there, the GLP-1 receptor agonists are going to improve both the blood sugar, but also substantially improve the body weight. There are also other anti-obesity medications that are out there that can improve blood sugar, things like the combination fentermine and topiramate, as well as the naltrexone and bupropion. And then, then we, I mean, we haven't talked about this, but there are all kinds of bariatric procedures, you know, mm -hmm. gastric bypass and the sleep gastrectomy and biliopancreatic diversion and 
other bariatric uh, devices and such, but all of these things are, are, I think, best targeted towards treating both the obesity and the diabetes mellitus. And I think if you had a choice between a medication, say, for example, saponuria, that yes, it's going to improve the, the blood sugars, but it's going to worsen the obesity. Mm -hmm. um, if you had a choice between that, oh, and oh, by the way, it may increase your risk of cardiovascular disease. Right. right? If it's a choice between that and say a GLP-1 receptor agonist, where you're going to have improvement in the obesity, improvement in the diabetes, and then it, you know, at least from the data we have now uh, in patients with the type 2 diabetes mellitus, it's going to reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease. I just don't think there's a comparison between mm -hmm. in, in what's in the best um, interest of the patient. So, so I think that brings me to the next point that was um, brought up in this, in this article is um, this concept of treating obesity first. So let's say you have a patient that comes in and their, their blood sugar, yeah, they have diabetes, but it's not, you know, maybe their fasting blood sugar is 128 milligram per deciliter. Hemoglobin A1C, maybe, you know, 6.6% or something. So they, they have mild increase in blood sugar. Their blood pressure is mildly elevated. They have mild to moderate dyslipidemia or whatever. And they just don't have acute disease. Um, and they have the overweight and the obesity. Uh, at least according to this algorithmic approach in this article, I mean, yes, if they have blood sugars in, in the four and 500 milligram per deciliter and their blood pressure's through the roof and they have profound mm -hmm. dyslipidemia, uh, you might want to immediately address those things as you're treating the obesity. But I think there's a lot of merit of saying for people with mild, maybe in some cases moderate, metabolic diseases, if you believe that their metabolic disease, their diabetes, their hypertension, or dyslipidemia is substantially related to their overweight and obesity, why not treat the obesity first? Okay, can you think of a single reason why that that is not a reasonable approach? I mean, I get it where you you got to ensure that the patient is, is going to have follow-up and they understand that uh, that ultimately they may have to have specific treatment for these conditions. But uh, if if you have confidence that you and the patients are working together in a patient-centered approach that's culturally sensitive and all those things you mentioned, uh, what possible reason would there be not to treat the obesity first? Actually, there are no reasons. We have to focus on this. So I want to give you an example of one of my patients, which is uh, very interesting. It is a very perfect example of treating obesity first. Uh, so this is a Middle Eastern uh, patient who was having type 2 diabetes for, uh, I think, more than 10 years now. And going through the complications of neuropathy, which was the most challenging, I think, complication of having uh, diabetes as a disease. They have been struggling a lot with high amount of insulin. Uh, we tried actually start, uh, GLP-1 along with insulin. We did multiple steps approach uh, according to the algorithm, how it has given. But the, uh, the challenge of significant neuropathy swelling in the feet was really uh, affecting the quality of life. And because he was on insulin and the GLP-1, the weight loss overall was not that much. We were basically, one side we were giving insulin and other side, uh, we are giving a GLP-1, we are not getting so much of benefit. Ultimately, 
again, the prop, when we think about treating obesity first, so how do we do that? So the re, what I did was I referred him to bariatric surgery at that point of time. I thought that this is, I just told him that, please be mindful about it. Let us just do a consultation. Let's understand because he didn't want to do the surgery at all. Finally, he went there. He agreed upon doing so gastric sleeve. Um, and then uh, after a month or so, we were able to get him off of the insulin. His weight kept off. And the most important thing was his neuropathy reverse. That is like a huge thing. His swelling in the leg has gone and he was he got his life back. So I really think that treating obesity first is so important. We have to assess all the factors. And if we are getting a remission in diabetes with this surgery, why not? So again, it depends on the patients for sure. Uh, not everybody uh, is a candidate of bariatric surgery, but if we are really struggling and if their weight is not coming off and like we are in higher BMIs, I think it is worth considering and worth going towards that because we are reversing all the metabolic disease altogether. And, and, and I think that is illustrative of, of the new world that we're in, whether it be mm -hmm. bariatric procedures or some of these newer anti-obesity medications. All right, well, thank you so much. Uh, this has been uh, truly great. And I think it's been a really practical discussion about the, uh, the application of nutritional intervention, physical activity, anti-obesity medications, bariatric surgery uh, in our patients with the uh, overweight, uh, obesity, and the diabetes mellitus, all consistent within, this, within the context of this cl clinical practice statement and such put out by the Obesity Medicine Association. So I want to... Um, I want to thank you for Dr. Benlish for um, uh, for um, for Dr. Benlish for uh, participating for co-authoring this paper, and I also want to thank you, the listeners, uh, for participating and and uh, listening to this podcast entitled "Obesity: A Disease," uh, which is the podcast put out by the Obesity Medicine Association. <laughs>